0: I believe that most of our gains at this point are going to come not from adding things. They're going to come from becoming um, from raising our level of potency and really focusing because our time is full.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, Tribe. I don't think I'd mentioned on the podcast that I was moving last week from Philadelphia to Charlotte, North Carolina. It's been something that's been essentially six months in the making. And while I'm super excited about the new adventure and meeting new people, creating new community, new relationships, the last couple of weeks, um I don't know what I had, whether it was the flu or covid or whatever, but didn't leave my apartment. But between being sick and getting ready to move and packing, it's really had me thinking about my schedule and being in being a high performer in general and It's been very interesting to circle back to my interview with today's guest, Dr. Carla Carla Fowler, who is an MD, PhD and an elite executive coach. Because when I was going back and listening to the interview, there were so many points that I was like, yes, of course, I, I can focus on this or I can improve that and for the last decade she has been the secret weapon for scores of CEOs, entrepreneurs and other senior leaders carla's carla's unique approach combines the latest research from performance science and timeless best practices to help top performers level up and achieve their goals and let's face it peeps like we can all there's some place for us to increase our performance and work and be at a higher level. So a couple of things that really stood out for me was how her gym teacher at when Carla was 12 had the entire class run and, and train for a half marathon. And one of the things that Carla said too in our conversation was that gains come from doing less. So figure out what is most meaningful and just do that. And lastly, and I think we had a lot of fun talking about this, but figuring out like, okay, so I should do less. What is the most meaningful thing for me to do? And that's what I got out of the conversation, especially with my move, was what are the things that have to get done that are going to make the most impact in my life, in my business that will help me heal, get better, serve my people, be with you, obviously. So listen in. Hey, Carla. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I have been like waiting all week and possibly a couple of weeks to talk to you because high performance is one of my favorite topics to geek out about and I can hardly wait to learn just so much from you. So with that, welcome to the show and please introduce yourself a little bit.
0: Thanks so much, Emmy. Um, I have been looking forward to this too. It's, it's a real gift to talk about a topic that I am very excited about. And I think that I have been for my entire life. So just, I guess a little bit about myself. One way to think about it is as I was growing up, I don't, I don't know that it was always clear that where I would end up is in coaching, doing coaching around high performance. But now for the past 10 years, that is what I have been doing. So I have a coaching practice. It's called DAXA. And um, I work to really help leaders and people who are doing challenging goals really use some of the principles of the science of performance to help them achieve greater success, particularly the world being as it is. There's a lot of uncertainty and sort of how to bring all that together for themselves. Um, But prior to that... I feel like I've lived a couple different lives. And so prior to that, I was actually on a pathway through medicine and science. So I was studying to be a doctor and got my MD. And as a piece of that, I also got a PhD because I really love sort of the interplay between um, learning about things like the science, the asking the questions, and then also doing something with it. So saying, how do we apply this to really Help people. And I get asked a lot, you know, how did you make this jump from, you know, 10 years ago, finishing those two degrees and then deciding to actually pivot and go into coaching? And I think that that is where high performance is really this like linking theme. So (laughs) growing up, I can look back now and really see that I, um, I had this like burning interest in how, how do people, how are people good at things? like if there was if whether it was like a track meet or or even like in a class right just how is it that you achieve um a high result and do that and i think i was always using myself as like an n of 1 case study so i was like the lab rat <laughs> and i apparently had no qualms about it um and and i also i think found a lot of empowerment as i was growing up from Putting myself into challenging, kind of putting myself up against challenges, like whether that was a physical challenge. I had this teacher who in uh, middle school had us do all of these amazing physical challenges. So like she had us train for a half marathon um, Oh wow! and it was a requirement of the class. And so I think I always forget how old we were. I guess we were probably like 11 or 12, but everyone had to do it. And as part of that, like we ran from Seattle to Tacoma as a training run. And for anyone who knows the kind of Washington area, I was 29 miles in one day. We were sort of like, you know, 12 year olds. We broke it up. We stopped every four miles, which is actually something that is a great trick and works in lots of areas of life. Break something big down into manageable sections. But, you know, I coming back to this idea of empowerment, learning even around sort of physical pursuits that you could do it. And after you had done it, you took something with you, Mm -hmm. um, this like understanding about yourself. So I think that's just a little bit of like what things looked like for me early on. And so then when it comes to like, okay, how'd you get into an MD PhD program? I I love math and science. I think I've always been intensely interested in people also. And so that combo kind of led me towards medicine. But I think one of the biggest things was this idea of hey, if you like lean into some things that are challenging and if you really build capabilities, like that will be useful to you. Um and and this was a program where it was fully funded. Um so your education was paid for and I was like, you know, that sounds great. I'm going to get paid to learn and I'm going to use learn these two different skill sets that will be complementary. And it it's interesting to me. It's intellectually challenging. And then I think the final piece was, I'm going to be around a lot of really smart people. And so I think this was just a second piece about myself was, I think I've often always been wanting to, uh, actually, like, I love that your podcast is called Tribe of Leaders. So this idea of saying, can you find the arenas where there are people you can learn from? like where there are high performers who are operating at the edges of their capabilities, how do you get close to them so you can learn from them and become better yourself? And so I think there were a lot of elements that went into, again, like that program being really appealing to me. Yeah. I have so many (laughs) questions. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Go for it. Good, great. So what was the PhD in? It was in immunology. So as you can imagine that that came back and was very useful over the past 3 years as I was translating, you know, like the science of what was happening as we were kind of learning what covid was uh, biologically speaking.
1: <laughs> yeah. And were you doing both of them at the same time, your MD and the PhD or kind of was there any overlap in that?
0: The programs are set up ideally so there is not overlap. Of course, as we know, like life never, <laughs> life's never ideal. So I think of it as a double stuff Oreo. So most of the programs at different universities that offer this, uh, you do t- the first two years of med school, which is most of the classroom work. Then you go into a lab and you do some kind of often biologically oriented PhD. And then you come back into your third year and your fourth year of med school, where they're your clinical years. So you rotate through the different specialties. Um, you know, I, I I was kind of burning the candle at both ends, uh, like towards the end. So I was actually finishing my PhD and writing my dissertation while I was going back into the clinic. I don't recommend that to anyone, but sometimes that's what you have to do, <laughs> as, as I'm sure you've experienced at moments as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
1: And like, how did you manage your time? Because I haven't been to medical school. I've only watched the TV dramas, but The little bit I do know, like it's pretty intense. Mm -hmm.
0: I love the question about managing time because this is something that um, in my coaching, like I work with people on a lot because the default is like both our brains and like our environments will soak up any time that we really haven't been deliberate with. It just has a way of like filling up. And so... um, what was interesting was medical school had a schedule and I'm a big fan of kind of planning and blocking time, which by the way, does not mean that the time always goes to plan, um, but oh, right. putting some intention with your time is very powerful because it tends to help you, well, it, it helps the default not happen essentially. And it is right, much right. more likely that you do what you said you were going to do. So med school, is actually very scheduled. And actually, so for me, there was there was classes, and I would say I actually learned better by reading. So sometimes, um, I'll be honest, this is my big disclaimer, I did not go to class, <laughs> um, and I read the syllabus instead. But I, I found that there was actually quite a bit of time because I could plan around it. And as an example, I also actually, I um, played very high-level Ultimate Frisbee during that time as well. Because as long as I had control over the time and classes did not take all day, so I could kind of plan things out. And the same was true for my PhD. I had a pretty hands-off mentor um, in the sense of like, he was interested in like, what results am I getting? He, He wanted to know I was on track, but he was certainly not micromanaging me. And so for me, that meant if I wanted to go to a tournament, I would just plan my work so that I could, I was like, okay, I need to leave early on Friday. I'm going to be exhausted when I show up Monday and probably pretty beat up, but like hopefully happy. And, um, and so sometimes that meant I worked at night. Sometimes that meant, you know, I kind of crammed things, like I sprinted on something and then I like worked on something else. But I found as long as I had a lot of autonomy that I could manage to put like the Tetris pieces in. But what I'll say is that when I went into the clinical years, that changed a lot. So the practice of medicine itself is not like that at all. And I will say that um, that really changed things for me in terms of when I saw more what life would look like on a pathway in medicine. Because you have a pager, obviously, um, you know, um, patients don't work on a schedule that's just that's just the nature of the business and i think that was a really clarifying moment for me it was not the only reason that i chose to make a pivot but um i think i i could see how you could lose a lot of control over what was your schedule and i think that is a big challenge for doctors today is not being able to use some of the best practices around how to use time because um you know there is a lot that is just kind of uncertain and, and also a system that's under pressure and under stress and doesn't have enough resources, I think, to totally cope with yeah, what yeah. is modern healthcare.
1: Yeah. Which is a whole separate conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. We'll save that one. <laughs> what works yeah. and does not work and yeah. conventional medicine. I'm also curious too, because I've never like heard of anybody running 29 miles in 1 <laughs> or 12 or uh, and I'm curious, like how long were the breaks that you took? Oh,
0: <laughs> remember all these details? I mean, what was really amazing is our, some of our parents had to come too. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh yeah, parent participation was a piece of like being in this class. This teacher was amazing. Her name is Fran Call, and um, she taught at a middle school in the Seattle area. And um, she really believed in building efficacy, a sense of self-efficacy, and grit in middle schoolers. So I think we ran like four or five miles and then maybe we took a 20 minute break or something. And then that's not even that long. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then we ate a snack, you know, you're growing at that age. And, and then, and then you did it again. It wasn't particularly fast, but we started early and I think we'd already been training for the half marathon. So I think we'd worked up to like a 10 mile run maybe at that point. So that's that's an important thing to keep in mind too. This was not, we didn't start we it cold.
1: Done, like day one, like, all right, we're going to run 29 miles today. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um, so, and but I think this is really, just to take it to another level, again, as we think about business and being adults, like this idea of how do you break down the change or the goal that you want to accomplish into, um, I would almost say there's, the mental chunks that we can manage. So the 29-mile run was obviously both mental and physical, but I think that there's a lot to be said about being able to say, okay, well, I know how to do this piece. Like the whole thing seems hard, but I know how to do this piece. And so I'm gonna think about this piece right now because that's what I can think about. And then understanding and trusting your future self to when you finish that piece, you can take a little break. (laughs) and that trusting your future self and your future brain to be able to manage, then resetting and thinking about the next piece. I have had the most practice with this in like sports, like when I would do track workouts to train for Ultimate Frisbee, um, like we we would do these brutal track workouts where you do like all these sprints. And I remember just thinking, don't think about the next sprint, think about this sprint and like do this one well. And then you know that, You'll take some deep breaths, you'll slow your heart rate, and then you'll be able to think about the next one, like one yeah. at a time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or it's in that, so, be in that moment too.
0: hmm Yes.
1: That's so yeah. incredible. And I think one of the cool things about being in athletics is that you're pushing your body beyond what it's comfortable with mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. it, for me, at least, it's really cool to see like, oh, and my, my, like my body respond and, and be like, oh, I can go this much further yeah right mm-hmm. and and but I'm curious too like at what point do we and not so much from an athletic standpoint but just do we push ourselves particularly women mm-hmm. beyond the like the, the good push
0: yes I, li- I like that yeah. yeah and and it's hard because we use all the same words But to talk about this, like, oh, it's good to challenge yourself and all this stuff. But then clearly there are moments and and points past which um, it isn't serving us anymore. You know, I think one thing, so when I'm working with people on high performance, I really come at it from a first principles place. Because I see one of the things that does happen, and this is one of the areas where that burnout or that pushing past the point um, that's good happens, is when we get really diluted and kind of feeling like all the things that we need to do, like we have this list of like, well, if I, if I really want to be a CEO or if I really want to be successful, well, then I have to be doing all of these things that I see that I think I see other CEOs doing, or that are part of my belief about, well, what would it look like to be high-performing? And that is a huge source of both burnout and like, and just like totally demotivating because, um, right. Again, I talk about what happens by default if we're not intentional. what happens by default is our brains are kind of programmed to always want more. To say we're programmed to performance discount, like to look at what we did yesterday and to be like, well, that's fine. And this could be an amazing accomplishment. Like, that's fine, but I haven't done anything today yet. What's happening today? Right? And to want more to say, once you've maybe figured out how to manage a certain number of things towards your goal, then you suddenly are like, well, how do I add more, right? And that's kind of the culture and the space that our brains are living in. And so for me, one of the most important things that I work with people on is this idea of brutal focus. I believe that most of our gains at this point are going to come <laughs> not from adding things. They're going to come from, becoming, um, from raising our level of potency and really oh, cool. focusing- Because our time is full, you know, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not like our lives start or even let's just say our adult lives. Maybe we graduate from whatever is the last program we do. And it's not like we have all this open time and we carefully put things in it and we leave it all open until we find the next careful thing we're going to put in it. Right. That's just not how it happens.
1: No, no. You just add stuff in and then you add stuff in because there are 15 minutes that you like missed. That isn't like jammed full of stuff. And then you've got like three weeks worth of stuff scheduled into one day.
0: Yeah. And and here's the kicker. A lot of it's good stuff. Yeah. Right. So my, the point isn't, I, and, and this is really important because um, I think what happens if we we're looking at our lives and we're like, oh, there's a lot of crap here. And so, and that's what's filling up my life. That's actually a much easier scenario. Get rid of the crap. Like, you know, it's crap. Just stop stop doing that or say no to that but the problem is actually our lives are full with a lot of things that can seem pretty good and then some things that also are really important and so i think that is way more challenging and so for me one of the things i really help people with and also i'm thinking about for myself all the time i'm not immune to this either is we have to think about how do we make what we do more potent and inevitably that means um saying no to some good stuff, saying like, it's good, but it's not serving me as much as I need it to for the amount of time I have to give this thing. And so that is one of the ways that I approach this idea of like not getting burned out is to try and say, how do we really focus both what do you want out of something, whether it's your business goal or even other parts of your life, what do you want out of it? what really matters in that arena in that arena like what actually is impactful and do i know something about that so like i'll give i'll give two examples like one example would be let's just say in your life you were like i i want to be healthier <laughs> and maybe another example could be in your business you're like i want more business <laughs> right okay so um it's pretty well proven that like exercise for example is one of the big missing components for many people. And even if you like do not lose any weight, even if you do not change your diet at all, like exercise shows documented benefits. So like, that's a great example of something that like, you can be pretty confident, like that's gonna have an impact to it, a positive impact. What you do, how you do it, there's a lot of details you could get lost in, but if you just started with something, you right, could then loop, iterate, and improve on that. Um, in business, a great example might be if you want more business, like if you're not prospecting, then that's that's something that almost certainly will have an impact. It might not get you all the way to closing all of those clients, but if you are not kind of doing that outreach or doing some kind of sort of sales funnel or pipeline, like you're like probably it's going to be challenging. and so yeah. that's a potent input, right? Exercise is a potent input. Prospecting is a potent input. And so I like trying to figure out with clients, what are those things? And then start to make space for what those are and say like, yeah, like um, social media and social selling can be a really important part of something, for example. But if it's not directly leading to kind of conversations, it's sort of more indirect. It might not be as important at a given moment in time as Mm -hmm. actually directly getting in touch with customers. So anyway, so that's that's just a little bit about, um, when I think about burnout, it's often trying to say, how do we focus and help you be more potent? Because adding something more is just gonna exacerbate that.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's what our culture pushes, is this like, do more, do everything. Mm-hmm. um, feelings. So if you're like every second of the day isn't filled with something, whether it is valuable or not, I don't think matters. Right. It, mm-hmm. Then we're not, we're not successful and we're not doing enough. And I think some people wear that as a badge of honor. Other people are just doing it because that's, they don't know any yeah. differently. And I really, I like what you're saying because it's, it's really about that focus, do the things that, are Meaningful and only do those things,
0: and so a really, I mean, a, a very appropriate next question one could ask is like, Okay, that's great, Carla, but how do you figure out what those things are? I, like, how do you confidently yeah. start eliminating stuff, and how can I feel sure about that? Yeah, what and are the right things? <laughs> what are the right things? Yes, great question. I totally deserve that. <laughs> okay, but this. But this is great because it actually brings up um, another thing, another principle, again, first principle that I use that I use with people. And it's this idea of relishing uncertainty. Now, to relish uncertainty doesn't mean that one needs to, like, stay in uncertainty forever. And fortunately, another thing about our brains, our brains hate uncertainty. Right. we want control <laughs> like we want we want to be in charge and you know just on top of it like kind of one step ahead all along the way and so this idea of relishing uncertainty to me is an acknowledgement of like even in areas where like we almost feel certain we know what's going to happen, there is room for stuff to go differently. And so it's worth just kind of accepting that that is how the world is, but maybe even more than accepting it, realizing that that can um, have its own element of fun, or if not fun, interest, Mm -hmm. intrigue, engagement, right? yeah um because Over for fun for me <laughs> yeah, yeah okay good right I know fun's not a word uh, that uh, resonates with some people many people around uncertainty but I think that one of the challenges in life is also life getting boring things feeling stagnant people feeling stuck in their careers or plateaued um and I think this is where actually you I, I that my phrase is I say Sometimes you got to go before you know. <laughs> so, yeah. which is just this idea of if you're feeling stagnant, that is often the moment when actually you got to like put yourself into that uncertainty and it will feel scary, um will feel uncomfortable and yet there is nothing better to get you into action and moving. Cuz when we're in that moment, often then what we do want to do is like solve it, figure it out, and so it really kind of gives us a jump start. And so when I think about uncertainty, you know, how does one, what, what is the practice of like relishing uncertainty? How would one do that? And I, I have kind of three things that I think about or I talk about with people. Um, and so the first one is this idea of kind of cultivating a mindset of abundance. And what I mean by that is just, number one, there are multiple ways that things can work out well for you. (laughs) It may not look like how you thought it was going to look, but that actually doesn't mean that the future is um, bleak or that, you know, the wheels are coming off the bus. And so it's kind of maintaining some curiosity about maybe it's going to go in a totally different way that actually is awesome, but it just looks different from what you were planning. I think then the other piece about abundance is it's just um, just staying curious about the future and what might happen and knowing that that actually could be way more exciting. Okay. So that's the first piece. It's a little bit of that. Don't grip too tightly to plan a, (laughs) um, so the second piece is to kind of try and differentiate like what you can know and what you can't know. So I'm a big believer in if there's homework to be done, do your homework. Um, you know, in med school, it's like there was a test. You had a pretty good idea of what was going to be on that test. You should study for that test. Like, don't right. lean in. Don't just be like, well, it's uncertain. I'm not going to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> would have been a bad strategy. Well, and so,
1: I, I feel like, too, like, particularly when you're in that uncertainty or I usually refer to it as being in limbo because you're kind of great. Things are mm-hmm. kind of gray, right? Yeah. And I don't have a lot of clarity is that research at homework, like, Figuring out, well, what is it that I want,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like,
1: what, are, what are all the options out there? Because yeah. some of them might give me a direction. Mm-hmm. Particularly Absolutely. if I let go to the attachment of having all the answers or it has to look this certain way. Yes. That seems like a really natural mm-hmm. next step.
0: It's, I love that you brought up part of what, what you can know or is like know yourself, and then there's other stuff, certainly, that maybe yeah. you need to know about your marketplace or, you know, things like that. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of saying, yeah, take some time to either think about, as you said, like, think about what you want. Because maybe back to that abundance mindset, you're like, well, the thing that's most important about the outcome here for me is this piece. But actually, the rest, I picture it this way, but the rest could totally shift assuming like that one outcome I can kind of hold on to. So like these things interplay um, in interesting ways. And then of course, if there's stuff you need to know about your industry or your marketplace or your competition, like go know that. Like the internet is amazing. Audio learning and reading books is incredible. We have a lot of access to be able to know things. That being said, the key then is to say there's also stuff that you can't use that learning for. (laughs) so sometimes we keep learning as a way to like feel control over the uncertainty and so the key is kind of identifying when you're like i've actually invested a good number of hours in trying to understand and know what i can know and what's left is actually a feeling that i should not address by continuing to research this is that moment where you got to go before you know because actually maybe the only way you will know is by actually getting out and now using some of that knowledge, taking some risks. And this brings me to my third one, running experiments. So sometimes the only way to learn something is you, and this is like, reminds me of my PhD, you can read a lot of other people's papers. At the end of the day, you've got to run your own experiments to figure out what you want to know. And um, yeah. so when you reach that limit of the second step of what you can know, and what you can't know, then it's probably time to run an experiment. And I love running experiments because I believe it ma- gives us a mindset shift when we think about our businesses and our lives in this way, because experiments are always like, "You don't know what's going to happen. That's the whole point. And so it gets you out of that, "I'm supposed to know what's going to happen here." I think it also gets us out of kind of a perfection mindset. Um, science and experiments are inherently iterative. Like you never. It, you never like run one experiment and then you're like, I'm done, hanging up my hat, like I win. That <laughs> is <it> all right. <laughs> yes, no. It just like there's always another experiment. There's another edge of knowledge that you have to approach. Right. And so I like that as a mindset because, you know, in business it's like every day you got to get up and you you'll you need to go find some new customers, for example, or you need to sell some more product, or you, um, there's more to be done, and so. I like the mindset of it, it's okay that it's looping and iterative and it will keep going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you because so much of business, but I think life in general, you've got to just try something and mm-hmm. see which part of it
0: works. Yes.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that with my clients all the time when we're building new funnels and we don't know which thing we should try and like, right. let's test one and see what happens. Yes. So it, the idea of the experiment really resonates with me because I think it it creates more curiosity and the inquisitiveness to like take one more step or try one more thing to see how you can play with it a little bit instead of, oh, I did this thing and I've failed. So now I should go home.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things I talk about with running experiments, and I I'll be curious to hear your experience to how you yeah. set this up mentally um, with your clients. But is I like to say, run an experiment where you you've designed it so that you can understand what happened, whether it turns out like how you hoped it would turn out or if it doesn't turn out. So that was actually one of the principles of sort of running a good experiment. Literally, when I was in the lab is you wanted to be able to interpret your results so that what you did next would be would be a step of progress because you would have been informed by what happened, even if you were like, okay, I did not just discover, you know, the next big cancer drug, (laughs) you know, but what did I learn? And then how is that going to help me in what I do next? So thinking about both the positive and negative results and what they would look like and how would you know is something that I like to think about with those.
1: Yeah, I think those are great questions to ask, um, ask yourself and when you're examining anything that you're experimenting with because again it'll expand your thinking and Mm -hmm. for me at least the questions that we're asking ourselves are what is going to help us solve problems differently so if we're kind of in a negative space where the questions are you know why isn't this working as opposed to what could I be doing differently or Mm -hmm. what part of it like you're gonna get very different answers Mm -hmm.
0: I'm reminded of I'm trying to think what book I was reading recently, but the concept was in like as you are working with a team um, and trying to set that team up to really learn and grow. It was interesting that there was a difference when you framed the work as a problem to solve versus like a learning project. And that people's brain space and kind of the the creativity and the willingness to take risks and to think about it differently, uh, much higher when it was defined as like learning objectives versus like we have to solve or complete this thing. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. So I thought that. Raising again was pretty, was pretty interesting. Just again, like thinking about how does it, okay. How does all this, we're talking about performance, but like, how does it all relate back to leadership as you're thinking about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about high performance. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Great. What are some of the characteristics that most high performers have? Is it, is it like some of the things we've just talked about or is it, are there other things? How do we differentiate somebody who is a high performer from the average human being?
0: This is a great question. So I think, I think one of the interesting things is that there's a lot of stuff that is actually very similar. Um, and I, I like to say that because I think we sometimes imagine things, like we might not see ourselves as a high performer or we might imagine things about whoever we're seeing in the news or on TV. And of course, I like to point out that by the time something gets public enough, That we have access to it to see that individual. um, That there's, we're looking at a very short window of time often, and we usually don't see everything that kind of went into it leading up to that. So that's the first thing that I, I like to point out. We get a short, a small piece of the story, we get the punchline essentially. So some things that I think are similar are that essentially like people who are performing at a high level still. They fail. They have failures. We might not see or hear about them, but they have them. They have had them in the past. Um, They also get lucky and unlucky like we all do. There is an element of that. the timing, being in the right place in the right time, being born in the right place at the right time. Um, So there's definitely that happens to all of us. They have brains that have the same evolutionary biology that we do. So their brains always want more. They may discount their past performance and say, well, that was yesterday. What am I doing today? They feel that same pressure. And also they don't get instant results. Um, They don't kind of have a magic. They don't have the magic button. (laughs) That's not what differentiates them. Okay. So now the piece about what is different I think one of the big things is that I believe this practice of iteration of learning how to kind of loop on something and improve it over time is a key skill um, or trait that they are using. Um, most very large things or large results that happen use are, are the result of compounding. And so what I mean by that is um, we don't see the long tail that builds up towards the hockey stick, right? So right. of a very successful startup. And um, so we don't see the fits and starts, we don't see a lot of the failures, and most importantly, we don't see all the work that got put in that had to sort of build exponentially towards what ultimately looks like a rocket ship. But it was that work that got put in consistently and even small inputs when done consistently over time, if they're kind of, if they are impactful, um, build up. And our our brains aren't really built to think exponentially. I think this is a little bit of why the COVID pandemic was challenging at the beginning for us to really understand what sort of that level of contagion looks like and how quickly the numbers grow. But early on, the numbers grow slowly. They're small numbers. They seem small. So that's a big thing is this idea of the the iteration and the compounding. And I think a trait that is related to this is the ability to um, see, own, and improve choices. So like in the face of like, again, I think not everything goes right. Like high performers didn't win all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily, I mean, people are certainly born with different levels of talent, but like, generally there is a component of like work and effort that goes into it too. And I think the ability to see what's happening or see a choice, see the result of it, you know, see the experiment, see the result. And then um, rather than like get stuck beating themselves up about it or rationalizing it, it's like, did I like it? Did I not like it? Or was it good? Was it not good? And then is it time to change or like, um, or do I need to give it some more time? And I think taking that level of agency is another characteristic that I have seen really helps lead to high performance. trying to think what else. Um,
1: Well, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, too, because like in my head, high performers are low stress. Their calendars are (laughs) (laughs) well-organized.
0: I am, right. So what I'm curious, like any other characteristics you think about, because we can, Totally talk about some of these things, Those are kind of pop into bit. my
1: head and like yeah. they're just their days are are fluid from the standpoint of from being well organized like mm. they just they've got oh. all the stuff together all yeah. the time, which which when I really think about it, I know is not true because life happens yeah. right, yes.
0: so so this is actually something thinking about calendars, thinking about planning time because. Really, the moment we can impact is now, you know, we can think about the future, but really our our window of action is now it's today. And then tomorrow we will get another today, most of the time. So I love thinking about time because I believe, and this relates to brutal focus, right? How do we choose to use that time? But I think this is one of the most empowering places where we can start to think about how to make a change. Um, And so I love to, I'm going to myth bust a little bit that like awesome. uh, having a super organized calendar is like the, is, is the key. And if you don't like, if it doesn't look like that, or if it doesn't always go to plan that somehow like that's, that's what determines whether or not you're going to be successful. I am a huge planner. I advocate for planning, but the whole goal of a planning is around intention with time and making sure that you run your time and that the world does not run your time. Right. Um, so that's the goal. It isn't about perfectly organized things that and boxes on your Gmail calendar that stay where they should. Like it's fluid. You have to have some adaptability. But I do think that really looking, number one, being proactive. So sometimes we realize, we get to a week and we realize like, wait, I feel like my calendar was made for me. People have put things on it. Like right. it's full already and I don't have the ability to change it. So one of the things I really advocate for is this idea of saying, look a couple weeks ahead and really figure out how do things get on your calendar, right? So what are the inflows of things? And, and often that means really thinking about um, who has the access to that, who is just scheduling things and having a conversation maybe about not having things get automatically scheduled. And then it also involves starting to Block time for those things that are the most important activities. So, for example, um, if you are thinking very heavily about sales, say for your for your business, whatever that looks like, whether those are channels, whether that's prospecting, you know, but um, to really start to say that is a key activity. Like in business, there's making stuff and selling stuff, and you need to do both. So, in almost every business, someone is thinking about the selling. And so um, really using that as an example of a key activity, blocking time for that and blocking that first is really helpful to then say, of all the other things that need to get done, there's Parkinson's law is that tasks will expand to fill the time you give them. And then um, (laughs) the reverse of Parkinson's law is also the case, which is you can often get things done in a much smaller amount of time if that's all you have. And so one of the big strategies that I advocate to people is looking ahead at your calendar because you have to proactively start to protect time. Think really hard about who you want to have access to that, to just put things on it. Um, And then the piece about, so you can block things out. That's great. That's the proactive piece. Then there's your question about like, okay, but stuff happens, right? Like your car breaks down, like your child gets sick. You got to go pick them up. Like- oh, throws up all the carpet if you're already late for a meeting. <laughs> yeah, a client is like, I need to talk to you now, <laughs> right? <laughs> all of the above. Okay, so the ritual that, um, I think like once a week kind of looking ahead and saying what's most critical for me to get done, walking time for that, that's proactive. Now there's the part that's like the reality step. And this is, I think once a day is good, it doesn't take very much time. I think if you want to do it twice a day, then I have good ideas about that as well. But um, look at it's the look at your calendar and that's where you make your realistic plan based on reality. (laughs) So this is where um, you look at things and you say, well, sometimes I had a plan to do something. If it's really important then maybe I need to leave that there, but I need to move something else. And, and part of it is being open to asking and allowing people to help you. So for example, if you need to move a meeting, you might need to move a meeting and you can do so responsibly. You can communicate proactively, but like sometimes you need to do that. And sometimes you have to move something important. And my big thing is make sure to put it back in your calendar somewhere. Like mm-hmm. um, it doesn't magically happen, but It's sort of this process in the morning where you look at your day and you say, can I, is this day realistic now? And if it's not to kind of make it that way, but then the next thing is really um, sometimes at the end of the day, I find it really useful to put your day to bed. And that's where you kind of acknowledge like what got done, what didn't get done. Um, How does that change your plan for the rest of the week? And really looking at it from a prioritized standpoint and saying, not just what are all the things, but like, well. Those are nice to haves, but aren't critical. This is the thing I need to find space for. Um, and then, and here's what I'm going to start with tomorrow morning so that you really know and can get started and you don't get lost in the email rabbit hole when you first wake up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like that's my realistic view of what good calendar management actually yeah. looks like yeah. in, in the wild.
1: <laughs> I, I And I agree with you. I'm a planner geek, list making, color coding. Like I just, I derive an immense amount of joy. I'm the one that adds the thing that I've already done on my list so I can just cross it off. (laughs) And I view calendaring as playing with puzzle pieces because things don't work out the way they're supposed to frequently. Yeah. One of the things I do, and I'm just curious what your thought is, I have a couple of blocks of do not schedule time blocked into my calendar every week so that the things that run over, get moved, rescheduled, so-and-so needs me. I have that time already so that I'm kind of staying on track and on target with things that I Mm -hmm. am doing that week. Um, Do you do something similar? Do you recommend something else?
0: I think that's a great there's lots of different ways that you can manifest this. But what you do sounds great. And the way I think about it is this idea of plan some margin. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be a block of time, but I also actually, another way to do it is it's planning spaces in between meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the interesting things about that is that number one, um, sometimes it allows you to properly account for what a meeting actually is. So a meeting might be an hour of time with someone, client, team members, whatever, but meetings generate work, not just actually like um, maybe the project, the big thing you're working on, but there's follow-ups and there's communications and reconnects. There's work that is generated and we rarely properly account for that work. And that is one of the things that makes our calendars feel crazy Mm -hmm. is that we haven't really acknowledged that that will take time. And so um, one of the things about putting some margin in between meetings that I think is really effective is often that is where some of that just immediate, like, fire off those three emails, that's where that happens. Um, Particularly if you can become disciplined about it and say, all right, I don't leave my chair until I've done those immediate just um, get those balls rolling so that I'm not holding up that process. So that's, that's one thing, but it also means that if a meeting runs late, you are not then late for the rest of your day, because the feeling of being late for the rest of your day takes energy and really changes what, like whether or not we feel like we're winning at our day (laughs) and that it matters. That's another way to do it. Um, and that I think is really effective. It also means like, again, if you need to do an emergency call or even if you need to try and just bump meetings up so they are back to back to accommodate, you know, some big thing that happens later in the day, just gives you some options. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Those are really, really great tips. I so appreciate it. And we are out of time. So (laughs) I'm really sad because I have other questions I want to ask. (laughs) Uh, But before we wrap up, I know you have a really cool resource that talks about some of the biggest mistakes that people have with trying to find coaches and coaching, et cetera. So can you share a little bit about that? We're going to have the link in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. So they can get it. Um, It's free. Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, I, you know, it's just, it's a Quick PDF I created because I get a lot of questions about how to find a coach. Um, I also hear sometimes about experiences where people are like, yeah, like I, I wanted a coach. I wanted to really invest in myself and that experience didn't go well. And so it's not the majority of stories, but it happens enough that um I think I I think there's a lot of good things to think about in terms of how how to look for a coach. And I am a very like process oriented person. So I like a lot of the recommendations in this are about, think about it like a process. You should probably meet with at least three coaches. Um, and many coaches have a way to do this, whether it's like a 30 minute introduction as a free way to just get a sense of like, who are they? Do you like their style? Do they have the right um, training and background that you feel like is relevant and yeah. will help you with what you want to work on? You know How to think about the time to invest in it. So just some things like that, that are helpful. And again, I, I think coaching can be such an important um, help and resource. And so, but for a lot of people, they haven't had the experience of trying to find a, a coach. So uh, that is what we have and yep, it's free for download and we'll make sure the link for that is in the show notes. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think that's
1: such a helpful thing because. I think you're right until you talk to a couple of different coaches or you've worked with a number of different coaches, it's harder to identify, self-identify what you're looking for. So having that, that guide will be super helpful for everybody. And where can everybody connect with you, Carla?
0: So I'm on LinkedIn. So Carla-Fowler. And so um, you can follow me there. And that's where uh, podcasts are often. When I'm on a podcast, it goes up there. So that's a great place to follow me. And then also, if you are interested in connecting, if you want to talk about coaching, my website is a great way to get in touch. So that's faxa.com. That's T-H-A-X-A. And um, there's just ways to learn more about my coaching in general. And also um, you can message me through that and my contact info is there
1: as well. So I want to ask you one more question too. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of your favorite high-performance books?
0: Oh, good one. Um, so I'm always reading. So this list changes. I'm trying to think what was, what was most recent. I really... So we've talked about time. Oliver Berkman wrote a great book. It's, he, his background is productivity. He was a productivity-like tester guru, um, but he actually wrote this great book on time. It's called 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. And it's actually kind of, it's actually much more of a philosophical, I like it because I think it's more first principle based rather than he's done all the productivity hacks. And he was like, they didn't solve my problem. And that is because the problem is a perspective problem about time and how to think about time. And to me, it really resonated with kind of the brutal focus and thinking about what really matters. So that Oliver Berkman, great book on time. And then, um, so I love, I also recently have read, um, Jeb Blunt's book on fanatical prospecting. (gasps) Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I just bring it up because, man, we all have to sell lots of things. And if you can just get over the discomfort of that and really like go after it, it is such an empowering place to be. So, I just recommend it because, and, and you know, it's it's got some stuff about social selling and other things in there too, but highly, highly uh, concentrated. One of books. my,
1: I've probably read 30 books so far this year. And I'm going to say that is my number one favorite for this year.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, last book, Thinking in Bets, Annie Duke. Okay. And what I like is this, she, um, wrote a book about her time as a professional poker player and about learning to play professional poker and what it has to do with how we approach life. Because life is all about our bets on the future. When we decide we want to do something, it is a bet on what we think the future outcome will be. And to me, she does a really great job of diving into um, kind of the topic of what I'm talking about when I'm thinking about how do we run good experiments? How do we relish uncertainty? So, like. I, I think it's a really great book that gets into some of those issues in a way that I kind of agree with her philosophy. So those are just three of many. There are many good books. but
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I always love to be reading something. So thank you. I really appreciate that. And I know our listeners will too, because they are lifelong learners as well.
0: Awesome. Thank but, you so much, Emmy. This has been really uh, fun.
1: Carla, thank you so much. i as I said, I feel like we could talk for hours more. I have so many questions, but we'll have to have you back on at some point, and would <laughs> be lovely. Well, thank Thanks you. Much. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to, and I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor, if you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders.